Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. Addressing those who think of Jesus as being something less than the Son of God, but a great moral teacher nonetheless, C.S. Lewis writes this in his book, Mere Christianity. I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people do say. I accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That, Lewis writes, is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil. Lewis continues, either Jesus was and is the Son of God, or he was a madman. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. C.S. Lewis was not one for understatement, was he? And I might have a few quibbles with him on this. But welcome to week three in our six-week Cross Purposes sermon series. In this series, we are exploring some of the things that Christians say about the mystery of salvation through the cross. Two weeks ago, we began by looking at the idea of substitutionary atonement, sometimes called penal substitutionary atonement. And last week, we explored the ransom idea of the atonement. Now, those two messages are on our uh, YouTube channel, St. Paul's Church of the Voyager, or you can listen to them on our podcast, which is simply St. Paul's Voyager. If you'd like uh, to look at a written manuscript, those are also available under the resources page on our church website. And I encourage you to do that because these sermons are, are a bit dense and there's a lot to them and a lot I really think we need to know. But I began with the C.S. Lewis quote Because based on his logic, I believe that we might be immediately uneasy with the idea that we're looking at today. What is commonly called the moral influence or moral example theory of the atonement. As McGray de Vega writes in his book, Savior, The key idea is that through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus demonstrates 
the genuine, self-emptying, self-sacrificial love that should mark the lives of those who are saved by his cross. Another theologian, Daniel Miglior, writes, In the moral example understanding, Christ shows God's love to us in such a compelling way that we are constrained to respond with wonder and gratitude. The atoning work of Christ is complete only when it is appropriated in an act of faith and allowed to transform one's life. The life transformation aspect is critical to this idea. And with that introduction to our theme, let's listen to this week's scripture. Good morning, St. Paul's. Today's scripture reading is from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. For this is a message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us since you've had a little time to consider uh, my brief introduction to today's focus i'm going to hazard a guess that some of us may suspect that this moral example theory of the atonement is a product of 19th and earliest, early 20th century liberal Protestant thought. And along the lines of C.S. Lewis, that this idea might reduce Jesus to little more than a good teacher of morality and ethics as Thomas Jefferson 
supposed him to be. In reality, the moral example idea traces back to Peter Abelard, who was a contemporary of Anselm of Canterbury. It's difficult to say contemporary and Canterbury in the same sentence. But do you remember Anselm? Anselm is the one who outlined the substitutionary atonement, uh, theory of atonement, uh, uh, back in about a thousand years after Jesus lived. So both Anselm and Abelard lived during the 11th and 12th centuries, the medieval period. And like Anselm, Abelard appealed directly to early Christian writings uh, and to Christian scripture to articulate this idea. Now, Abelard was not diametrically opposed to uh, Anselm's idea of substitutionary atonement, nor to the idea that Jesus' death somehow liberated us to freedom. But Abelard did see that these ideas make salvation merely transactional. On the one hand, in substitutionary atonement, Jesus' death is a transaction whereby God's wrath is averted. The, the penalty that should fall on us falls on Jesus. On the other hand, Jesus' death is a transaction that pays a ransom to gain our freedom from the devil. Neither one of these ideas, as Abelard saw it, requires or even asks that much of us other than a declaration of faith. And this can turn Christianity into what Dallas Willard calls a barcode transaction. We confess belief, we get baptized, and we are stamped with the right barcode. God scans the barcode, and forgiveness and or freedom floods forth, along with the promise of eternal life in heaven. This barcode transaction makes a life of discipleship, of actual adherence to Jesus' teachings, sort of beside the point. And as Willard skeptically asks, can we believe that being saved really has nothing whatever to do with the kinds of persons we are? This is Abelard's concern that we miss the fullness of life that Jesus invites us to live into when the cross is reduced to a transaction that goes on without any real participation from us. And so unlike the first two ideas that we have explored, the moral example idea does not locate salvation exclusively to Jesus' death on the cross. No. The entirety 
of Jesus' life is what constitutes salvation. His life, his teaching, his actions, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, all of it is important. Jesus' sermon on the mount in Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7, and the short New Testament letter that we call 1 John are excellent examples of the wider scriptural testimony that salvation is indeed about the kinds of persons we become when we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. 1 John 3, 14 insists, we know that we have passed from death to life, which is salvation, right? To pass from death into life is salvation because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Or as 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says it, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Our songs uh, for worship this morning all convey this moral example idea. And I think it would be worth your time to listen to and meditate on the lyrics of all the music this week uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, we add a, a couple of extra songs into our expanded worship set, and I encourage you to listen to those sometime this week and, and meditate on those words. But let's identify a couple of the strengths and weaknesses of this moral example idea. One strength is that it begins with a reminder of what we were created to be before the so-called fall, before Adam and Eve's original sin. That we were created in the image and likeness of God and that Jesus comes to restore us to our original nature. De Vega writes, our creation in God's image means that in our essence, we have the capacity to reflect God's love into the world. It does not mean that we are God or are equal to God, but it does mean that God's basic character of goodness, love, and relationality is an integral part of who we were created to be. Dallas Willard says this same thing, but a bit more concisely. Jesus came to show us, it, Jesus came among us to show and teach us the life for which we were made. A second strength of this idea is that it does not get so focused on the transactional idea of blood spilled on the cross 
that it overlooks or diminishes the lifeblood that flowed through Jesus' veins throughout his ministry and teaching. To raise again the target illustration that I lifted up last week, where Jesus should be at the center of whatever we say about our faith, this is the bullseye. Indeed, this enlarges the bullseye because we need to take all of Jesus' teachings more seriously than we often do in order to be his disciples. A point which I think Abelard would make to C.S. Lewis. These strengths, however, lead to a couple potential drawbacks. First, because it focuses much more on what we do here and now as disciples, the moral example idea can seem to suggest what we call works righteousness. That salvation is dependent on our works rather than upon God's free gift of grace. And because the assertion that we are saved by grace alone is so central to our Protestant heritage, it is important that we keep things in their correct order. And so I'm going to say this twice. We do not think that we obtain, earn, or merit salvation by doing what Jesus teaches us to do. Rather, the free gift of grace empowers and enables us to do what Jesus teaches us to do. So again, we do not obtain, earn, or merit salvation by doing what Jesus teaches. Rather, the free gift of grace empowers and enables us to do what Jesus teaches us to do. Our good works of discipleship are always in response to grace. A second drawback as Daniel Miglior notes, is that some versions of this moral example idea tend to sentimentalize God's love, depicting Jesus as merely a good example. And I think this is what C.S. Lewis is pushing back against. And I suspect that Peter Abelard, if he lived around the same time as Lewis, would have agreed with Lewis. But I also think Abelard would have pointed out that this is a misunderstanding of his moral example idea. And here's what I think Abelard might say and want us to know. One of the things that reveals that Jesus is the Son of God, who alone can restore us to our original nature is precisely his willingness to go all the way to the cross 
without deviating from the way that he invited and taught his disciples to follow. The fact that, that Jesus prayed that God might remove the cup of suffering from him in the Garden of Gethsemane demonstrates both the choice and the costliness of Jesus' self-sacrificial love, laying his life down for the sake of his friends. That Jesus was willing, not required, but willing to give his life for this purpose makes his actions all the more staggering and all the more the example that he empowers us to follow. Indeed, this is exactly what Jesus' disciples did following his death. They lived lives of self-sacrificial love that cost them their lives. It's thought that all but one of Jesus' disciples uh, died an early death by demonstrating the same type of self-sacrificial love that Jesus did. You know, that there's this movie, Hacksaw Ridge, and it is quite a brutal movie, but it tells the story of Daniel Doss. And Daniel Doss, I'm sorry, Desmond Doss, and Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he refused to carry a weapon into battle based on his faith. He didn't refuse to go into battle, but he was not going to carry a weapon. And he received the Medal of Honor from President Truman following following World War II because he rescued 75 soldiers from the battlefield. Doss is a good modern demonstration of someone whose faith was lived according to the moral example idea. So if you can stomach it, it might be worth taking a look, but it would be hard to conclude that Desmond Doss had a sentimentalized view uh, of God's love. And so I, I encourage you uh, if you can stomach it, uh, to watch it. But you can also read about a story on the internet. And I, I think there's actually a, uh, a documentary called A Conscientious Objector that talks about his life and story. And it is, it's remarkable. So uh, I, I just encourage you to, to explore this idea a little bit more. Amen.